If you ever feel like your life is out of control to one degree or another, then I would lead you to take comfort this evening in knowing that there was a night on which Jesus came out to his disciples walking upon the waters. If you have ever gotten the sense that this world is just fraught through with disorder, evil, and chaos, then I would uh, lead us to take courage in knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord of the waters. And if you have yet to look to Jesus and confess him as your Lord, then I think this story should give you every reason to do so this very evening. This may not be a story in the life of, uh, of our Lord that you would uh, think to apply to such fears. Uh, you might be thinking about now, uh, what does Jesus walking on the water have to do with life being out of control and full of chaos? But much like the feeding of the 5,000 5, last week, there is much more going on here than first meets the eye. So let's begin by taking note of two aspects of this miracle that help us understand the full significance of Jesus walking on the water. Firstly, I'm wondering if it has struck you what a curious miracle this is from Jesus. Uh, there would seem to be something very uncharacteristic about the miracle of Jesus walking uh, on the water. Uh, have you ever noticed? And I'm sure you have because we've pointed this out before. But uh, you've, you've probably noticed or, or thought about the fact that Jesus never just did random feats of amazement. Uh, for example, Jesus did not do miracles in which he made things appear and, and disappear. Uh, he, uh, he never made rocks levitate or floated somebody uh, through the air. He never just displayed his power for the sake of displaying his power. His miracles were certainly done to display his power, but always as a blessing to others. Thank you very much. Um, his miracles were always applied to the benefit of others. And so Jesus healed the sick. He delivered those possessed by evil spirits. He fed others who were hungry. And he even raised the dead. And yet here was Jesus walking on the water and seeming to do a miracle with no application to the benefit of others. You may also recall that one of the ways that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness was to entice him to use his power for his own benefit, namely for making the rocks turn into bread that he might eat. And the reason this would have been a sin was because Jesus had been sent into this world not to serve himself, but others. He had been sent not to preserve his life, but to lay down his life for others. He had been given great power, not to be used for his own convenience, but for the blessing of others. And yet, here is Jesus, seeming to use his power simply to take a shortcut across the lake. 
I'm going to leave you to think about that for a moment while I mention a second important aspect of this great miracle of Jesus. And this is an aspect that demonstrates the necessity, as we talked about this morning, reading Scripture, the necessity of reading Scripture in the full light of Scripture. Uh, This is an aspect that uh, shows the danger of being New Testament-only believers without an understanding of the Old Testament as the background to the ministry of Jesus. What we need to understand is the significance of Jesus walking on the sea within the Hebrew worldview of the disciples. In other words, we need to understand what the disciples were seeing, what they were being given to understand as Jesus came walking to them on the water. What we need to understand is that within the Hebrew worldview and mindset, the sea represented chaos and disorder. The great waters of the sea, whether it was the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee, in this case, the great waters of the sea represented the great threat of chaos and the collapse of order within the world. It was a worldview that was given to the disciples, even by their knowing the story of creation, where the darkness and the emptiness and the formlessness of, of the waters were dismissed. They were, they were pushed back by God as he created a world of light and stability with dry land, a world of beauty and a world of abundant delights for man to enjoy everything from food and flowers uh, to sexuality and fellowship within God's good creation. Therefore, here we can also be helped by understanding the Hebrew concept of shalom. We are likely familiar enough with the word shalom to know that it means peace. But the Hebrew concept of peace was much deeper and and broader than the typical understanding of peace within our language. When we speak of peace, we might simply want to relax for an evening on the back patio enjoying a bit of peace and quiet. But even when we speak of peace as broadly as world peace, we still come up short of the Hebrew concept of shalom. There is a sense in which shalom for the Hebrew meant the same, or at least much closer, to what we mean by the word heaven. Of course, even the word heaven is often used in a rather shallow sense, like uh, when we're sitting on the back patio and we say, ah, this is heavenly. But think of the fullness of what we understand by heaven, and, and you will at least begin to understand the Hebrew conception of shalom. Shalom means peace, but also an, an orderliness of life, a a blessed state of reality in which justice always prevails, in which people always do what is right, in which death and, and darkness have, have, have no place in one's thinking, in which all is life and light and joy and peace. Does that sound familiar? It's, it's what God created in the beginning. This is what the Hebrews meant 
by shalom. And because all of this was represented in the promised land, since, since the place of shalom was the promised land, the sea, therefore, was understood as antithetical to shalom. The sea represented chaos and disorder, injustice and unrighteousness. Have you ever been so close to a pounding surf that you could feel the ground shaking beneath you? For the Hebrew, the sea, with its waves pounding against the shore and shaking the land, the sea represented the threat to shalom. The sea represented chaos. And so having gained something more of the disciples' perspective, look now with me to see our Lord Jesus walking on the sea. Here was Jesus striding confidently through his kingdom. Here was the king displaying his sovereign rule over the sea, which takes us back to that first aspect again. Jesus was not using his power simply to facilitate his travels. Jesus was not using his power for his own convenience. He was rather displaying for his disciples his sovereign rule over the sea, revealing his authority in order to build the faith of his disciples. The early details in this story make it clear that Jesus was indeed orchestrating these events from the beginning. Verse 45 says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And it was surely a matter of making them go ahead without him. They were, they were surely not used to Jesus sending them on ahead without going with them. Uh, they might have thought... Uh, Um, What does Jesus mean by this? Uh, uh, He wants us to leave without him. Uh, We're supposed to be following him, not going on ahead of him. But Jesus, you see, was orchestrating and the ensuing display of his sovereign lordship over the sea. And verse uh, verse 46 goes on to say, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Why are we told here that Jesus prayed? There are uh, a few possibilities. Uh, One, uh, it was simply to show us again, to give us to see that that's what Jesus did throughout his ministry. He he often prayed. Uh, Second, uh, perhaps the idea is that he prayed specifically here for his disciples, that the demonstration that he was about to give them of his lordship and, and authority would truly build their faith. Third, maybe it was just to show us again that Jesus was orchestrating this miracle. He had to give them time to get themselves out into the middle of the sea before going to them walking on the water. So now the scene was set, uh, as verse 47 says, And when evening came, the, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. The disciples were now in a position to know 
first of all, the power of the sea. They were in a position to recall how their culture understood that the sea represented disorder and, and even, even chaos. And, and about the fourth watch of the night, we are told, that is to say pretty much in the middle of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Jesus had already demonstrated his lordship, his authority over so many different aspects of chaos. Disease was an aspect of chaos and Jesus had healed the sick. Demon possession was an aspect of chaos and Jesus had cast out demons. Hunger and death were aspects of chaos and Jesus had fed the 5,000 and even raised the dead. But here Jesus made clear that his miracles were not just circumstantial or situational feats of power. Here Jesus made it clear that he is Lord of the waters. He is Lord over chaos. Jesus displayed his power over the sea and thereby showed that he is the Prince of Peace, the King of Shalom. Do you remember what Isaiah 9 says about who Jesus would be? We, we heard it this morning, and it doesn't need to be December for us to hear it again. Uh, for, us, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Ah, there it is, the Prince of Peace. And the word here in the Hebrew is, indeed, shalom. He is prince of shalom. We might prefer the word peace for the sake of the alliteration, prince of peace. But again, the word peace doesn't capture the full meaning of the Hebrew word shalom. We would have to say prince of peace and and order and stability and justice and righteousness and hope and joy and love and all by the blessing of God. We'd have to say all that in order to capture the meaning of shalom. So we can keep it as Prince of Peace, so long as we remember the fullness of what Christ is for this world. And that one day upon his return, he will bring heaven to earth, as it were, to make it the the perfect place for us to spend all eternity with him in glory. The miracle of Jesus walking on the water has much in common, of course, with the time that he calmed the sea. We came through that uh, several chapters ago in Mark 4. In fact, here again in verse 51, it says, Then he climbed into the boat, the, into the boat with them, and the wind died down. But the significance here, the added significance here, is that Jesus actually walked on the sea. Think about the fact that, that where you walk says a lot about the authority that you, that you bear. Um, if you own land, you have the freedom to walk that land anytime you want, day or night. If you own property, you have, you have authority over that property. And, and even if someone sees you out walking in the middle of the night, they can't say anything to you. It's your property. If you own a house, you have the authority to enter that house whenever you want. And just so, Jesus was displaying his authority over the sea by walking 
on the waters. He owns them. He controls them. He rules the waters. And so he walks upon them. It makes sense then that uh, this great miracle of Jesus is followed by a time of great healing. In verse 53, we are told of Jesus' arrival at Gennesaret and, uh, and how once again the people came to him. And we are told that wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Do we see the connection, the the significance of Jesus walking on the water? And now Jesus doing these great miracles. Jesus walking on the water was so much more than just a neat trick. It was a display of his total lordship. And now his shalomic power, we might, we might say, was, was poured out at Gennesaret in, in that region. His shalomic power was, was pouring forth from him like never before. And so the possibly unexpected application of this great miracle is, is to comfort us too in the face of life's disorder and chaos. Whether chaos be manifested in our lives as disease or broken relationships or injustice in the workplace, we too can hear Jesus saying to us, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. As we see Jesus walking on the waters through the testimony of God's word, we can be assured that he is Lord over all that distresses us. And the point is not that Jesus uses his authority over our chaotic lives to keep us from all suffering. The point is to give us the assurance that even in the face of trouble, he is Lord. He can and He does use the trouble of our lives to His sovereign ends to fulfill His good purposes. And the thing we need to remember is that He doesn't even need us to understand it. He doesn't even need us to be able to wrap our brains around His grand sovereign purposes. He simply calls upon us to know that He is Lord And that we never, ever struggle in vain. As his people, as the sheep of his pasture, we will never endure a pointless suffering. But the day will come when there will no longer be any sea. When we understand the significance of of Jesus walking on the water, we are are better prepared to understand the significance of of there no longer being any sea in heaven. In Revelation 21, as we heard, verse 1, the Apostle John describes his vision in this way, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Why would there be no sea in God's new creation. Well, it means no chaos, no disorder. Or as John goes on to write, death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
Finally, let me say this, even as we recognize the presence of chaos in this world, even as we recognize Christ's lordship over all things chaotic, we also need to recognize that as much as we are threatened by chaos, we are also agents of chaos by our sin. The easy thing to do is to think of ourselves simply as victims of chaos. But we are also agents of chaos because we are sinners. And so we need Christ, Lord of the waters, not just to deliver us from a world of disorder, but to deliver us from our collaboration with such a world. We need Christ to deliver us from the alliance that we have made with such a world. We need Christ to deliver us from our sin. We might want to say, well, what alliance do I have with a world of disorder? But we need only think about the sin that we commit, how, how by our sin we disrupt the shalom that God established when he created the world. What about the injustice that we commit? What about the unrighteousness of our lives? What about the hurt that we have inflicted on others? What about the hatred that is too much found within our hearts? Are we not agents of chaos by our sin? We have brought disorder into the lives of others, to be sure. We have further alienated them from shalom. And we need Christ to deliver us from our sin. It's always easier to think of ourselves as being saved from some problem outside of us. It's easier on our pride to think of ourselves as victims of pain and brokenness and death with a compassionate God coming along to save us from such an ill-fated, ill-fated mess. But that's not what God's Word teaches. Granted, our suffering is not always a direct consequence of something we've done. In fact, our suffering is probably not usually a direct consequence of something we've done. But, but God's Word teaches that sin is a heart problem. It is a, a problem within our very nature. And God's Word teaches that Christ is Lord of the waters and our Savior from sin. So let's look to Him in faith. Let us rest within His saving work on the cross, for He is the one who is making everything new, a new creation in which there will be no longer any sea. And until then, let us say with the psalmist that we will not fear. The earth may give way, um, the mountains may fall into the heart of the sea, the waters of disorder may roar and foam, And the mountains may quake at their surging, but we will not fear. Can we say that? We need to be able to say that in faith. We will not fear, for Christ is our Savior, and He is Lord of the waters. Amen. Let's pray. Father God Almighty to save, You are our refuge and our strength. You are an ever-present help in trouble because you are sovereign over our troubled lives. And you have granted us a Savior who walked upon the waters, a Savior with the power to save us not only from our troubled lives, but to save us 
from our sin. Grant us ears to hear that we might look to him in faith for our salvation and for our comfort in this passing age. Help us to be still and to know that Christ is Lord of the waters. In his name we pray. Amen.